Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Well, good morning, Lake Forest Church. Uh, my name is Aaron. Let me welcome you this morning. Uh, if this is your first time, or maybe you were with us for Easter and you decided to come back, uh, we think you're a little bit crazy, but that means you're crazy just like us. So we're so glad you're here with us today and uh, excited to launch into a new series. Before we do that, I want to tell you about two things, just some quick family business that you need to know about. Uh, the first has to do with our, some of our missions partnerships. Uh, we have a partnership with an orphanage in Haiti. Uh, we send teams there regularly. We've uh, also been able to fund through our Immeasurably More uh, campaign the uh, Transitional Home for Girls, which has just been incredible uh, to see a place for these girls who graduate from the orphanage to go and learn some life skills as they transition back into the real world there. Uh, but one of the projects we are partnering with this year is the construction of a chicken coop uh, inside the walls of the orphanage. Now, if you've ever been in a third world region, you kind of know there's a, there's a little bit of a compound, a really high cinder block wall, and the whole life of the orphanage is within there. And uh, one of the things we're hoping to do is not simply provide fresh eggs for the orphans there, but that they might also learn the skill of chicken farming. Uh, so it's kind of a double win, and we're super excited about that. Your kids today in, in Kid Travelers are going to be receiving a little carton with instructions on how they can participate, how you can be a part of that, uh, and talk about your, with your kids the mission that we serve globally, internationally, uh, as part of what the gospel really calls us to. So I encourage you to pick up one of these. If, you have, if you're interested in being a part of this, you can stop by the table out, check in out there, and learn more uh, as well. And we're going to be talking about this for the next couple of weeks. I want you to be aware of that. Jeremiah, can I hand that to you? Thank you. Second thing is this. Uh, immeasurably more, I mentioned that. We funded uh, uh, Transitional Home for the Girls, but super excited to tell you uh, we are just a little bit over the two-year mark. We've got one more year to go, but as of last week, we have now crossed the $1 million received mark, which is just unbelievable to me. Uh, y'all pledged $1.2 million towards the land and, and uh, the, the future vision that God has for us. And, and uh, I'm so excited to say we are 83% of, I think the math is right, somebody check me on that, but 83% of the way there uh, and this last stretch, this last lap around the track uh, may be just the most important. So thank you for your ongoing commitment to that. If you're new, uh, you can just forget all of that. That was just some family business I just wanted you all to know about that's going on. Well, I hope you had a great Easter. Welcome back to those of you who were on spring break. Uh, We are jealous of your tan, but I guess we can still be friends. Um, Today we're starting a new series called Follow Me. And the title of this got me thinking, you know, I'm old enough to remember when there were only two ways to get somewhere. You either had to have someone tell you how to get there, like get actual written directions, right? Or you actually had to follow them in their car. Do you remember this? Like... So, yeah, I was thinking about this, and my kids, they, they, they don't know those things anymore, not in today's world, right? And so I was thinking, my kids are never going to have that formative, deep character-building experience of getting lost for an hour, having to pull into a gas station, tuck your tail between the legs, walk in and announce to the 17-year-old gas station attendant, I'm lost. 
I'm the only one who's done this. Dad, you know what I'm talking about. Remember these days? So I was with my kids in, uh, in Huntersville just two weeks ago. We were running some errands, and we'd just gotten tacos. By the way, Las Maras tortas, like the best tacos in the world. So we got tacos. We were running to our next errand, and uh, I turned to my kids, and I said, uh, you know, we're going here. And, and my daughter said, now, where is it? And I said, oh, don't worry about it. Just follow me. And then my teenagers looked at each other, and they looked at me, and they said, Dad... We don't have to follow you. We have phones. (laughs) Truth is, we all follow someone, don't we? We all follow some, or we follow something. To be human is to be a follower. We all have someone or something in our life that we are looking to, to set the course and the direction of our life. Even when we think we are independent. Even when we think we are charting our core, our own course, we are actually following someone. Now, a lot of us grew up in church environments or, or religious environments or families where it was all about following the rules. It was all about behavior, something a friend of mine calls churchianity. Uh, he grew up in the church, and this is what he shared with me. He said, the reason you went to church was to learn the rules. And the reason you learned the rules was so that you could feel better about yourself when you obeyed the rules and you could look at all the people who weren't obeying the rules and you could judge them. That was his version of churchianity. But see, the consequence of this kind of excessive focus on rules, to say nothing about the fact that we never live up to it, the excessive focus on rules leads us either to a place where we realize we can't live up to all the rules and we kind of quit the whole rule game altogether, or... We think we're living up to the rules, and it breeds in us a kind of arrogance and a kind of judgmentalism towards people that weren't as good at the rule game. And for a lot of us, and maybe this is your story, for a lot of us, that was the very reason we gave up on church. That's the very thing we walked away from. But here's the thing, and here's what's so important for us this morning as we get started. What I want to suggest to you in this series is that Jesus did not come to give us a rule book. Jesus' primary mission in this world was not to give us a set of rules to live by. In fact, if you pick up the Bible and thumb through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the historical accounts of Jesus' life, you'll discover something quite surprising. On every page in every Gospel, Jesus seemed to be using a different set of terms to talk about why he came. Jesus seemed to be using relational terms. More than anything else. In fact, one of Jesus' favorite analogies was, or, or metaphors was that of a father and a child. He said, God is like a father and we are like his children. In fact, he, he went so far as to say, you can actually pray to God using the word Abba, the word Daddy. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. You mean we can talk to God like a father? Yeah, like a good father. Like a good father. Another image he, he loved to use was that of the vine and the branches. This one was a little more tricky. He had to explain it to the guys. He said, look, I'm, I'm like a vine and, and you're like a branch. And here's how this thing works. If you abide in, if you stay connected to me, then there's a kind of life that flows from me into you. Your job is simply to stay connected, to abide. Or, or another one that can kind of get lost on us is the shepherd and the sheep. Uh, This is kind of a bad metaphor. (laughs) That's as good as it gets today. That was it. I mean, that was that came to me Thursday. I thought, okay, this is going to be a fun Sunday because we we don't work with sheep. Well, most most of us don't. Some of us do. Uh, But but 
the shepherd, the shepherd's job was to care for the sheep. And Jesus went so far, he said this really peculiar thing. He said, look, there, there are lots of sheep in this world, but my sheep, my sheep, they recognize my voice. Lots of sheep, lots of sheep out there. But when I call my sheep, they know my voice. There's a relationship and they come. You see, everything Jesus taught about God's posture towards us, towards the world, was intensely, intensely relational. Which means, if your approach to Christianity is anything less than or anything other than relational, is it possible that you're missing something from Jesus? Because the word that Jesus came back to over and over and over again in the Gospels is this simple invitation to follow me. He didn't say read your Bible more. He didn't say stop doing that stuff. He didn't say go to church. These things are all good things. He simply said follow me. Because for Jesus, Christianity is intensely, intensely relational. And that's what this series is all about. That's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. Jesus mentioned this phrase, by the way, a little kind of nerdy moment, uh, 38 times in the gospel. He gives this invitation to follow me. Nine of those times are in the gospel of Matthew, which means on average, just get this, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives the invitation to follow me at least once every three chapters. And so today I want to start by looking at a story from Matthew's gospel. In fact, it's Matthew's own story the time Jesus invited Matthew to follow him. And if you're new to Bible study, you're, you're going to love this story. I promise you, you're going to love it. Or if you're one of those people uh, who's been kind of kicked in the nose or snubbed by the church or by religious people, you are going to love this story. It's found in Matthew chapter 9, and it begins with verse 9. Let, let me read this to you. This is the opening statement that begins our story. And mind you, Jesus has been walking around the Sea of Galilee. He's, he's kind of up on the lake. He's been doing this with a lot of people. He comes into town right where the port is, and he sees this guy. And here's where our story picks up, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, let's pause there. To understand the significance of what is happening, I need to do some quick background work. So a kind of thinking cap moment here. Uh, This invitation to follow can sound a bit strange in our modern day. We think of it like that bumper. You know, we follow somebody on YouTube and and it's just kind of a, I don't know, it's this passive, non-committal kind of thing, right? But in Jesus' day, the audience would have known exactly what this phrase meant. Follow me was an invitation to become a student, a disciple. In fact, the name Matthew comes from the word mathetes, which means student in Greek. Isn't that interesting? Bear with me. This, this is, I want to press a little bit deeper. In Jesus' day, the people responsible for religious instruction were called rabbis or teachers. Uh, it wasn't a paid position. Anybody could, I guess, audition to be a rabbi. But the vast majority of rabbis were itinerant teachers. They traveled from village to village doing their instruction in the city square or wherever they could gather a crowd. Now, anyone could come, even just for the afternoon. You could picnic lunch, come out and listen to a rabbi. But the serious students, the disciples, 
the ones who wanted to become followers would come and sit at his feet. Sit at the rabbi's feet. This was a sign that you were submitting to that rabbi's instruction. But it was also a sign that you wanted to try out or audition to be one of the official disciples. You decided which rabbi you wanted to follow, and then you sat at his feet, and he grilled you with questions about the law, about Torah, about Mishnah, the oral tradition of the rabbis, and you had all of that memorized. You had been studying since you were five years old, and if you were smart enough, if you had a 1600 on the SAT and a billion hours of community service, then you might just be lucky enough to get picked. And the rabbi might say to you, follow me, and you could become his disciple. Now, to make someone your rabbi was a big deal. And it was fundamentally a choice about being with the rabbi. With the rabbi all the time, even when you didn't want to be with him. A disciple was someone who had chosen to be with the rabbi as much as was physically possible. In fact, in ancient times, there's some stories about this. kind of cracked me up. Uh, Disciples would try to be around the rabbi everywhere, not just during formal teaching moments. They wanted to see how the rabbis handled money, how they interacted with people in conversation, what flavor shake they ordered when they went to cookout. And they would compete with each other to be with the rabbi more than anyone else while he's fixing meals, while he's doing chores, even sometimes when he was going to the bathroom because the rabbi might pray a prayer going to the bathroom that you wouldn't want to miss. True story. In fact, there's an ancient account in the Talmud that's a collection of Jewish writings Uh, And actually a story about a disciple who snuck into his rabbi's bedroom and hid under his bed so that he could be there in the most intimate moments of the rabbi and his wife. The rabbi caught him under the bed and kicked him out, saying, this is simply too much rabbi. Right. That is TMI, quite literally. But you get the idea. It's all about relationship. It's all about being with your rabbi. Uh, The biblical scholar Ray Vanderlaan notes that the first century Jews had a blessing that kind of encapsulated this sentiment. You would bless a disciple uh, to stay in the presence of the one he followed. You would say this, may you always be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, might you follow your rabbi so closely that the dust from his feet gets kicked up and caked onto That's what it meant to be a disciple, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And this is exactly what Jesus is inviting Matthew to do. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew and he said, follow me. Now, we need to say a quick word about who Matthew is. And some of you will know this, but this invitation to this kind of guy was quite shocking. No one expected Jesus to pick Matthew. Matthew was a notorious sinner. He was a tax collector, a tax gatherer who worked for the Romans. In fact, Matthew was the worst kind of tax gatherer. Listen to how one scholar puts it. In Jesus' day, there were two basic categories for tax gatherers. A gabai, gabi could also be pronounced, was a despised general tax collector. But Matthew was a moquez, a custom house official. And that position was even worse, 
While both groups reported to the Romans and were therefore considered traitors to their own people, Mokis were especially despised for their seemingly endless opportunities for harassment and exhortation. Excuse me, extortion. Uh, a Mokis could charge all manner of taxes in addition to duties on imports and exports. There were bridge tolls, road tolls, harbor tolls. There were taxes on wheels, pack animals, axles, pedestrians. The list was as limitless as the Mokis' imagination. Get a feel for Matthew's vocation. According to everything Matthew had ever learned about God, there was no hope for a Mokis like him. No hope that he could ever be a disciple. Repentance meant turning oneself around, cleaning up your act, doing right. It meant making restitution above and beyond one's sins. The path to God was just too steep for a tax collector. So Matthew had given up on the idea of ever becoming anything more than what he was. But then, but then, one day the prophet from Nazareth, Jesus, comes to town. And of all the things he could have said to Matthew, can you imagine? Boy, Matthew, your mama must be really proud of you, right? Can you imagine? Of all the things he could have said, what did he say? He said, Matthew, come and follow me. And I don't know, this is just Aaron's imagination. The text doesn't tell us this, but I imagine that at that moment, there was an audible groan from the other disciples, right? Like Peter and Andrew, you know, I mean, they're there, and I imagine them turning to each other and saying, no, 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 Jesus, uh, just, just wait a minute, Jesus. You, you can't pick this guy. There's got to be a better draft pick than him. Can you imagine? I mean, this is like the Hornets drafting me instead of Zion. I mean, just to put it in perspective, right? I mean, I'm pretty good at the free throw. Okay, no, let me not post it. But remember, this is not a casual invitation. Hey, Matthew, let's go get some beer sometime. No, this, this is a formal invitation to become one of Jesus' disciples, one of the inner circle members of his posse. But notice also what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, hey, Matthew, Listen, if you'll get your act together or, hey, hey, Matthew, if you'll jump through these three, you know, if you'll kind of clean up, if you'll fix yourself, you can come. There were no prerequisites. He didn't even have to believe. He just had to be willing to get up. Jesus simply said, Matthew, come and follow me. Now, if this seems a little too simple to you, or this makes you a little bit uncomfortable, you might, you know, you've been in church, you're like, well, I don't know about that, Aaron. That seems a little risque. It was pretty risque to the people in Jesus' day, too. Because look what happens next. The story gets even juicier. Jesus decides to risk his own reputation for the sake of this potential relationship with Matthew. So he goes over to Matthew's house, and you can imagine kind of the guys, the disciples, their response to this. Jesus, look, look, man, it was bad enough that you let this guy come with us, but there's no way we're going to his house for dinner, right? What if, what if somebody sees us hanging out with this tax collector? What if somebody takes a photo and puts it on Instagram and it gets copied to Facebook where my mom actually goes, you know, and then she sees that I'm hanging out with this tax collector. Jesus, what's going to happen? This is like converting to the dark side. Or, or like hoping Cersei Lannister gets the throne. Or, or, or cheering for the Yankees. This was bad. Jesus, we can't be seen with this tax collector. And, and you can just kind of see Jesus in this moment. He smirks because he knows what's about to happen. Look with me at the next verse. 
while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. This wasn't just a dinner with Matthew. Word gets out and like all of Matthew's tax buddies start coming over. All the sinners. And I just love this. Did you notice this? Tax collectors had such a bad reputation that the sinners didn't even want to be associated with them. Do you see that? The sinners got their own category. Tax collectors were so notoriously bad. But there was something. Something so magnetic. Something so beautiful, something so compelling about Jesus that people just came. Even people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And if you catch nothing from else from this story, I hope you catch that. Jesus was incredibly at home with people who were very, very different from him. And people who were very different from Jesus, felt completely at home with him. Which means, today, which means, that if you're not a Christian, and you have ever felt anything from us other than love, that is our fault, not Jesus. Jesus would like you. He would. Jesus does like you. Even though he knows your thoughts and your past and everything about you, Jesus still likes you. And today he would say, hey, hey, listen, Matthew, can I come to your house and have dinner? But you see this, especially for those of us who grew up in the church, those of us who have been around the church for a long time, this can be a little bit uncomfortable, right? It's, it, but it's, it's like it's hardwired in us. We've grown up with the rules. We think it's about our own performance, our own report card. We're so hung up on the merit system that we think Jesus has lost his marbles here. Shouldn't he be hanging out with the good people? I mean, come on, Jesus. We've memorized all the verses. We've gone to all the right schools. We've never hung out with the wrong people, Jesus. Don't we deserve to have the rabbi come to our house? Well, that's exactly what happens in the next verse because there are some religious types hanging out here. They're called the Pharisees. And look at what happens in this very next scene. When the Pharisees saw this, what did they see? Well, they saw Jesus reclining at the table, partying with Matthew and his buddies. See, the religious leaders were outside of the house. They were too scared to come in. So they just stood outside looking in on this. And so they turn to each other and they ask his disciples, why does your teacher, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? Interesting question. Picture this. Jesus is hanging out. And I don't know how this went down. I'm just giving you a little bit of Aaron's imagination. Right? Jesus is hanging out inside with Matthew and all of his buddies. And, and he notices there's this commotion going on outside, right? And I don't know if he actually heard the question or maybe one of his disciples kind of relayed it in, kind of, you know, back and forth, a little bit of messenger. But 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 Jesus hears this and look at his response. He says this on hearing this. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And at this moment, I mean, this is a little bit of Bible humor at this moment. I think Matthew kind of stops, right? 
Just imagine. I mean, Matthew here's it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, Jesus, you're a guest in my house. And I know you're saying that those people out there are the healthy ones and that they don't need a doctor. But does that mean, Jesus, Jesus, are you calling me sick? And I don't know how this happened, but I imagine Jesus kind of smiling and looking Matthew in the eyes and saying, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Of course, you're sick, right? (laughs) And all of Matthew's friends kind of hearing this are like, yeah, Matthew, you're sick. And Bob, you're sick too. And they're all, yeah, we're sick. Hi, woo! Right? His party does it. Because they knew this about themselves. They weren't under any delusion. That's why they hung out together. They weren't accepted anywhere else. And let me pause here because this is so important. This is so fundamental to the gospel. So remarkable that Jesus could look at Matthew and say, Matthew, Matthew, you need some help, Matthew. Matthew, you are sick. And Matthew would be like, you know what, Jesus? That's kind of offensive, but you are absolutely right. I need a little help. Because you see, gospel principle number one here is that the only people who are truly qualified to follow Jesus are the ones that know they need some help. The rest of us, those of us who think we're healthy, the Bible says we're just like that older brother. Remember the one who had the prodigal, wild child, younger brother? That guy came home and we were too proud. We were too self-righteous to go in and celebrate his return. Which brings us to the last line of this story. You see, Jesus wants to make sure we understand what's happening. He doesn't want this moment lost. This is a teachable moment. And and remember, he said, I have come to reveal the heart of the father, the father, child, the vine, the branch, the shepherd, the sheep, the loving father. So he goes outside. He leaves. He goes outside to where these religious people are standing because, again, they're too afraid to come. And he goes to them and he quotes to them a verse from the prophet Hosea, a verse that they would have memorized as children. And he says this. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous. Not, excuse me, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, is Jesus saying that the Pharisees don't need God's mercy? Is Jesus really saying that somehow the Pharisees are healthy? No, no, no. Listen, there's a little bit of irony here. Remember what Jesus says earlier in this same gospel. He says this, the healthy don't need a doctor. Actually, they think they're the healthy ones. In fact, this is what Matthew said about the Pharisees. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. No, what Jesus is trying to illustrate here is that the only way to be excluded from the grace of Dr. Jesus is to think that you don't need it. To say, no, thank you, Jesus. I'm good. But anyone, anyone who is willing to say, Jesus, I think I need some help, is welcome to become his disciple, his follower. You see, religion... 
churchianity, as my friend called it, says first change and then you can join us. But Jesus turns that upside down. He says, look, I'm not asking you to get your life in order to fix yourself up before you come to me. All I'm asking is that you take a step in my direction. Come and be with me and follow me. But let me warn you, Jesus says, let me warn you. If you follow me for very long, the dust from my feet, the grace, the love, the truth, and the mercy of Rabbi Jesus will start to stick to you. And you will start to change. Because the nearer we draw to Jesus, the more we put ourselves in the place of grace. And we cannot help, we can't help but be transformed and healed and changed by the power of grace. So, as we begin this six-week series, today as we lay the foundation, there are a couple things I just want you to know. I'm just going to give you a quick list here. A couple things I want you to know up up front about following Jesus. Three things, three things in there. The first thing is this. In order to become a follower of Jesus, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all together. I don't care what grandma said to you. I know she loves you, but she is wrong. If she said, you've got to get your act together before you can go to church. It's simply not true. You don't have to have it all together to take a first step of following Jesus. Truth is, no one, no one Jesus called had it all together. Do you remember this list of bozos that he recruited? I mean, it's unbelievable, right? As it is often said, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. You do not have to have it all together to follow Jesus. The second thing is this. This is a little more provocative. You ready? Hold your your chair. You don't have to believe to follow Jesus. You don't have to believe to follow Jesus. You know what's really remarkable about the gospel stories? Not one of the twelve disciples believed in Jesus when they first started following him. Do you know that? Not one of them. In fact, they doubted their whole way through it. Jesus was risen from the grave, like we talked about last week. And there's still this guy, his name's Thomas. And he's he's like, I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. It's no, no, sir, right? You remember this story? And Jesus comes to him. And Jesus, again, just so, so amazing, this Jesus. He comes and says, Thomas, look, stop unbelieving and start believing Come and touch the wounds in my hands and the hole in my side. None of them believed when they first started following him. You do not have to believe before you begin to follow. And third and finally is this. The invitation to follow, the invitation to follow is nothing more than and nothing less than an invitation to relationship with Jesus. Relationship. And that's what we're going to be talking about over these next six weeks. And I hope you'll be with us. What if during these next few weeks? What if? What if you said to Jesus, Jesus, this is hard for me to to admit. I mean, uh, I'll admit it to you. I'm not going to admit it to my spouse or my kids. But Jesus, I'm a little sick, right? There's some stuff, if I'm on... I know, I know, God, there's some stuff in me that's not right. I don't even live up to my own rules. Let alone the rules I try to teach my kids. 
Jesus, there's some stuff in me that is broken, needs your healing. And Jesus, I don't have it all together, but I'm willing to take a step and follow you. What if? What if in this series you were to take Jesus up on his invitation? What might happen in your life if you were to follow him? Can we pray?